This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, making the world healthier and greener one day at a time. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. This week, I'm back to talking about gut health. Why is it important to have a healthy gut microbiome? In fact, what is a gut microbiome? What happens when it's unhealthy? So many questions and so much to learn about it. But when we get it in balance, we live healthy, happy, active lives. Joining me today is naturopathic doctor, Dr. Ashley Margison. We are going to break down the science and the gut's impact on overall health. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Claudia. I am really excited to chat all about, you know, poop and the gut and everything that we normally get a little bit awkward talking about. Well, and it's so important because the awkward talk is what leads us to being the most healthy we possibly can. Now, our gut, we don't give it much thought until it starts to become a problem. So, you know, it affects our lives in so many ways. So what is it about our gut that is so connected to our overall health? So our gut literally defines how well we're able to absorb nutrients. Everybody talks about the food that we're putting into our body, but we take it one step further and we go, but what are you actually absorbing into your body? How does that influence the hormones that circulate through our body? And ultimately, how does it influence our ability to age healthily? And that makes so much sense because I'm sure that every single person listening to this episode has had an incident where their gut was not cooperating, where in fact, it was more like we didn't cooperate for our gut. So let's dive into that and talk about what are we doing wrong? Before we jump into what are we doing wrong, I think the the biggest focus is a bit of self-awareness. A lot of times what we think of as normal or common symptoms aren't actually what we're supposed to be feeling. And it's actually our gut talking to us and being like, hey, something's wrong. So feeling really full after you eat or not feeling full after you eat, experiencing bloating, having a bowel movement every couple of days, every couple of weeks or multiple times a day, all influence kind of what our body is trying to tell us. And then we go one step further and we're like, so what does your poop look like? And every time I ask that to a patient, they get slightly awkward and they're like, I don't really talk about this. The form of your bowels, the form of your stool literally gives us an indication to how well you're absorbing things, what the microbiome of your gut is made up of, how well you're able to influence other external factors. And really what it comes down to is knowing like how well you're balancing that gut microbiome. What is it about that microbiome that is important? What are the components that we should have in balance and in homeostasis to make it healthy? So the gut microbiome is made up of literally trillions of these little tiny microorganisms. And microorganisms, the easiest way to think about it is if you were to take a shot, like you're in Toronto right now, if you were to fly a drone over the city of Toronto and you were to create this video of everybody moving like in and out of stores and on the streetcar and into the subway. That's literally what the microbiome of our gut is doing. All of that different bacteria, all of those viral particles, all of those parasitic particles, everything that's supposed to be there is moving, hopefully in cohesion with each other. Where we run into issues is where we have too much of the not so great biome particles and not enough of the good stuff. So what are the symptoms of an unhealthy gut microbiome? The first symptom that we always look for is bloating. 
which can be a little bit more difficult for women to pick up because we have a uterus that also likes to grow and change depending on where we're at in our menstrual cycle. So sometimes people are like, yeah, I'm super bloated for a week. And I'm like, well, is that the week before your period? And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, that's probably actually not your gut. It's probably your uterus. So slightly different conversation. In particular, we look for bloating that kind of So you start out your day feeling relatively good. You're like, my pants fit great. You look at yourself in the mirror. You're like, yes, like I'm going to take on the day. And then throughout the day, everything just starts to feel a little bit tighter. And then by the end of the day, you're like, oh, cool. I can't breathe and I need to take off my bra or I need to take off my pants. The second big thing that we look for is what does your poop look like? So there's something we call a Bristol stool chart. And a Bristol stool chart is how everybody measures poop. It goes from one to seven. One is super constipated and seven is like, you want to die. It's coming out way more liquidy than anybody could think. Ideally, what we have is we experience something in like a Bristol stool type three, four, or five, which is it's like it's long, it's got good form to it, it comes out really easily, we don't have to strain, there's no smell to it. And when we look at that poop coloring, we see something that is a nice brown, no mucus, no undigested food, aside from corn, and it doesn't like nothing really happens to it once it goes into the toilet bowl. If your bowels are breaking, if it's taking forever to get them out, if there's a pretty significant smell, then we've got an issue with your microbiome. We've identified that we have an issue. So I'm your patient. You and I have identified that I have a problem with my gut microbiome. Where do we start? We start by asking the question of, do we need to feed the good stuff or do we need to potentially kill stuff off? So most of the time where we're starting is how do we feed the good bacteria to just make things move easily? Antibiotic use is something that can really do a number on our gut microflora. So that's why ideally we don't want to be using antibiotics unnecessarily. But it's also why everybody talks about this, right? They're like, you took an antibiotic. Once your round is done, take a probiotic to put the good stuff back in, right? Like that's good. Where we're missing a lot of the conversation is how do you feed feed that bacteria that's in there. Because if you don't feed it the right stuff, it doesn't grow and it doesn't develop and it doesn't evolve. And then we're stuck with the not so great bacteria taking over. Is that the question between prebiotic, probiotic, and how do we, like, how does it happen? How do we destroy that gut microbiome? Is it our food? Is it environmental? Is it stress? Or is it all of the above? It's all of the above. And that's what makes this conversation so much more complicated than just take a probiotic and move on with your life. Because high amounts of stress can influence the bacteria that's in our life. Perimenopause and estrogen and progesterone can influence the bacteria that's in our gut. Um, Whether or not you have antibiotics in play can influence the bacteria in our gut. And we talk so much about the antibiotic conversation And then we forget about the whole, what's the food that you're putting in there like? How easy is it to digest? How easy can you move food through your digestive system? And what does that ultimately look like for our quality of life? And let's talk about food. So what are the foods that 
because we've all been there. You know, we've had like Taco Tuesday and you kind of like loaded up on sour cream and cheese and all that. And your gut is a disaster. It's not going to be just that one night of indulgence. It, it's probably something that builds up over time and you're just not fueling the gut properly. My favorite thing to tell my patients is I love everything in moderation, including moderation. If you're going to give me tacos on Tuesday, there's a <laughs> there's a hundred percent chance that I'm going to put everything on it. I trust that everything else I eat around that is going to give me enough resiliency that maybe my gut doesn't feel so great because I've totally put too much sour cream on it. What we worry about is like when that continues the whole time. So everything in moderation, including moderation. So much of the research tells us and what so much of the data tells us, both clinical and also kind of written, is that we need to make sure we have enough fiber in our diet. So from everything to do with dementia, to skin health, to aging, to optimal living, what really comes down to the, like the question that really comes down to this kind of magic pill is basically how much fiber are you getting in? There's two different forms of fiber. We've got soluble fiber and we've got insoluble fiber and they work together, but separately at the same time. So insoluble fibers are things that bulk everything up. So we're talking like your grains do that relatively well. Nuts and seeds generally have a lot of insoluble fibers in them. We're talking your root vegetables. So things like sweet potatoes and beets and carrots and turnip and everything that we put into a hodgepodge out east. All of those things are soluble fibers. And what soluble fibers are designed to do is they're designed to bulk your bowels. So guess what you probably don't want to have too much of when you're constipated? You don't want too many unsoluble fibers because you've already bulked everything up pretty well. Why do we want to be adding more bulk to it? And this is the thing is like you need to know your own bowels first to be able to go like, okay, what is it that I need? Insoluble fibers, the easiest way to think about whether something is an insoluble fiber or not is that if you put it in water, it's going to pull that water in and it's going to start to gelatinize. What our bacteria and our microbiome, though, love the most is soluble fiber. And soluble fibers are foods that get slippery when they're wet, right? Actually, easy way to think about it. Insoluble bulks and like gets like super thick and gelatinous and soluble fibers get slippery when they're wet. Soluble fibers are things like garlic and onions and asparagus and mushrooms and like anything that has that slippery quantity to it or quality to it. And so when you put that soluble fiber into your diet, what you're doing is you're creating this environment that is very strongly prebiotic in nature. The microbiome of our gut loves soluble fibers because it feeds that microbiome within the upper part of your large intestine and it allows everything else to move through much better. I couldn't have described it better myself. It makes so much sense. So once again, it's about creating that fine balance between the soluble and the insoluble fiber so that things can move nice and easily through our digestive system. And that's what's going to maintain that healthy microbiome. Now, before I go to break, I wanted to ask the question of probiotics. Should we be supplementing regardless of our gut condition? Uh, is it something that we should be taking every day? Or is it something that you would recommend if, if you suspect a you know, patient has a problem? 
generally it's only something we recommend if the patient has a problem with it. So there are a couple of areas, like if you have Crohn's or colitis or celiac disease, those are different conversations, right? Like those are medical diagnoses that require a little bit more of a specific conversation. For your general person off the street, we want to put the focus more on the prebiotic soluble fiber conversation because that keeps the environment of our probiotics really healthy. As opposed to like if we put a probiotic in, but we're not doing any of the other things, well, then we're literally just sitting on a hamster wheel, always needing to be on a probiotic, but because we can't actually support the growth of our microbiome. And this is really important to recognize, like the microbiome is initially designed as we pass through the vaginal canal, like when we literally like come into this world, um, and then it grows with us. So as women in particular go through puberty, go through pregnancies, if that's your choice, go through menopause and perimenopause, the microbiome environment changes in response to that. So I meet a lot of patients who are like, well, I've never needed to consider this before. And I'm like, because your environment was here and now your environment has changed because of this hormonal conversation. It's it's a completely different conversation and it's okay to be able to go like, okay, so that worked here in this point in my life. And now I'm at a different point in my life and I need new and different supports to support myself here. I'm so happy that you said that because it's really important to note that every stage in our life is going to be a diff bit different and we're going to need different support. When we come back, menopause and gut health. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Connect with us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Ashley and I were discussing the much-talked-about gut microbiome. How does it decline as well as how do we rebuild a healthy gut? However, another very important conversation is how menopause can affect our gut health and what we can do to prevent the decline. Dr. Ashley, a study conducted by Arizona State found there is a link between menopause and the bacteria in our gut. So... Let's talk about that because that whole area and that whole, you know, time in a woman's life can be so naturally stressful because there's so much conflicting information. So let's talk about how the gut is really impacted by menopause and vice versa. So your hormones are broken down in your gut, which is the easiest possible way to think about it. You literally poop out the extra hormones that you don't need. Perimenopause is puberty round two. So we expect perimenopausal symptoms to pop in about 10 years before you hit menopause. And everybody's like, how do I tell when I'm there? And I'm like, well, hopefully you have somebody that you could ask that question to because we right now we don't have good testing to give us an indication like, yeah, and you're in early stages of perimenopause or not. So I'm a huge kind of proponent of at this point in your life, you actually treat symptoms because that's what clinically the research tells us has the best outcomes. One of those symptoms that so many of my patients complain about is their bowels just go AWOL. They're like, I used to have 
great, consistent bowel movements. They used to be super easy, and now I'm constipated all the time, and then I have a pile of diarrhea, and now I'm gaining weight in my midsection. My brain feels fuzzy all of the time. Like, what is going on? Some of this is hormonally induced. Some of this is also stress-induced. And then some of this is gut-induced because as we have different patterns of estrogen and progesterone coming through, so estrogen rises, right? First half of our menstrual cycle, so like day one of our menstrual cycle to ovulation, estrogen's on a roll, and then it like roller coasters its way down. During perimenopause, that estrogen doesn't build as fast as it's supposed to. And that means that we delay out ovulation. So we have anovulatory cycles. Those anovulatory cycles then mean that we don't get progesterone, and progesterone is a smooth muscle relaxant, which directly influences our gut. Like if we have no progesterone, then our muscles in our gut, which are also smooth muscles, do not move the way that they're supposed to. And then on top of that, we tend to not sleep as well. So we don't tend to move as well. So we don't tend to eat as well. Like that triad is very well studied. We know that's the leading cause of weight gain and perimenopause is actually the sleep conversation, not just the hormonal conversation. But because of that, we then drop our protein intake and we tend to eat foods that are higher in fat and we tend to eat less soluble and insoluble fibers. And that has a direct effect on an enzyme known known as the beta-glucanerase enzyme, which is literally how we break down estrogen in our gut. If that enzyme is working too fast, we break down more estrogen in our gut and reabsorb it back into our system. So that's where you get this term like a lot of people see on Google called estrogen dominance. And I'm like, it's not like a medical term, but I totally understand the feeling associated with that. But it comes partly from that enzyme working overtime, which spills more estrogen back into our system. as a, And then like it has this perfect spilling effect that makes our hormonal symptoms worse. That was a lot of information. <laughs> But it made complete sense because everybody who I know is listening to this show, if you're female or even male or, you know, whatever, has heard the term estrogen dominance. And it's a scary term because we all associate estrogen with like, you know, making you angry, crazy, hyper, anxious and all that. And it really comes down to the fine balance between the estrogen and the progesterone. And it doesn't have to be scary or, you know, really mind altering or body altering during perimenopause. We can create the balance. And this is the thing is we want to create the balance in particular from the gut because like puberty round two is perimenopause. We don't want to be pushing your hormones in a pile of different directions at this stage of life because it's supposed to be a transitional period. We want to try and keep your estrogen in a nice little narrow range, which means having regular bowel movements, supporting ovulation, getting enough fiber in there so that you don't have these bigs ups and these big downs. We have a little bit more of a consistent flow. Let's talk about alcohol. So I am extremely sensitive to alcohol. Like I literally cannot drink. I'm I'm all about sleep. So anything that's going to disrupt my sleep is a no-no for me. But 
a lot of women like to drink. A lot of people like to drink. How much of an effect does alcohol have on estrogen and that imbalance? So the same pathway in your liver that breaks down estrogen is the same pathway that breaks down alcohol. And that liver enzyme pathway will break down like the more carcinogenic conversation first. So if you are drinking a glass of wine with supper every night, your liver is not breaking down the estrogen it needs to and then dumping it into your gut. It's breaking down the alcohol, which means then we get kind of like this dump of estrogen coming into our gut later on, generally halfway through the night, like that 2 a.m. nice little wake up that you get after you have a little bit too much wine, witching hour, your stomach feels off the next day, right? And that has generally not a ton to do with the alcohol and everything to do with the liver processing system. Um, The unfortunate part is you can't change those liver enzymes. They're going to do exactly what they're designed to do because they're designed to make sure you don't die from alcohol poisoning. They don't realize a glass of wine is very different than a lot more, Um, which means that really one of the best things that we can be doing from a perimenopausal conversation is limiting our alcohol intake. And yes, I know every time I tell my patients that they're like, yeah, I know, But I will say there's a lot of great non-alcoholic options out there that still give you that same like I'm part of the community without needing that alcohol intake. I agree with that. I feel like the effect that alcohol has on my own body, I can't imagine what it's doing if it's continual and you're doing it all the time. And like you said, moderation in moderation. So if you're going to... I pick and choose if I'm going to be out socially. It depends on where I am and how much, you know, I want to feel it the next day. But I try to avoid it as best I can because I want to keep my hormones in balance because I want my gut to be healthy and vice versa. So let's say you are treating a perimenopausal. And you know what? I'm going to backtrack. I like how you talk about perimenopause as the, you know, puberty number two. You know, it's 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 the best way to describe it. So we put a lot of attention on our young girls who are going through adolescence and are hitting puberty. You know, we're on top of them. We understand, we try to explain to them. We don't have those same conversations in perimenopause. And it's a shame because it is a transition. It's not the end of your life. It's a transition. There are things we can do to help it. So one professor from the Arizona State University said that what happens in the gut does not stay in the gut. So let's expand on that. So your skin is technically your biggest detoxification organ. Your gut is your biggest absorption organ. So every single bit of inflammation, enzyme work, hormonal cascades, microbiome has a direct effect to the rest of our body. So if our gut is healthy, then generally the rest of our body is feeling a lot better. If our gut is off, then the rest of our body is going to be a little bit off. Um, I totally love to say, like, if you poop good, you feel good. And if you feel good, you look good as well, right? Like, we know, like, when we've had a good sleep, we've eaten well, we've moved our body, we feel really good. I would like you to poop good and look good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we all would like that. So that's a great, great way of looking at it. Your recommendation. So you just said it right there. So we have to eat well, we have to sleep well, we have to move well in order for us to poop well and then look good and feel good because that's the ultimate goal. We want to go through this transition with ease. Now, 
when we talk about, you know, the perimenopausal, menopausal years, do you kind of go with the idea of protein at every meal, um, you know, lots of vegetables, lots of fruits, and let's talk about water. How much water should we be drinking in order to maintain a healthy gut? Because I'm sure that water plays a role in this. Water plays a huge role. And right, like when we talked about that soluble fiber to that insoluble fiber conversation, we put both of those in water to see what would happen. So if you're not drinking enough water, and it's not even a drinking enough water conversation, it's an absorbing enough water conversation. So we have a huge electrolyte piece, right? So as we're drinking water, my first question to my my patients is like, if you're drinking a bottle of water and yeah, great job, are you urinating within the next 30 minutes? Because if you're drinking water and then you have to go pee, you're not absorbing that fluid, which may be part of what's going on with the gut. In order to drink and absorb your water, you need to have enough sodium in your diet. So like salt is not going to kill us all. We need to have a little bit of that, ideally coming from a nutritional like area, right? Like table salt, kosher salt a little bit of sushi here and there, like some of that dulse. Like, I mean, I'm from the East Coast, so like it's readily accessible out here, but we want some of that sodium base there to be able to absorb our water. And then this is where the conversation of so many of my patients have. We've had this conversation around soluble fibers and insoluble fibers. We've looked at diet. We're trying to get some more protein in to maintain muscle mass during that transition because muscle mass is what controls your basal metabolic rate. And then every single one of my patients is like, okay, so what if I have an off day though? Like, what if I have an off day where I can't maintain that or I haven't gotten to the grocery store? I've had a sick kid all week because at the 40 stage of our life, most of the time we're in careers that are a little bit more stressful. Our kids are around. Like, there's a lot of things that we're juggling, which is then where I like the supplement conversation to come in. And I know we don't want to be uh, like all about the supplement piece, but this is where it can be a really great band-aid to make sure that everything is still moving consistently, even if you have an off day that's either planned or not planned. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thrilled that you said that because I agree with supplementing when you need and how you need and just to kind of facilitate this process of being as healthy as possible. So what are kind of basic recommendations that you would recommend to all women in our 40s? So we want something that's going to help with our sleep. We definitely want to be considering a magnesium supplementation for a couple of reasons. One, we know it helps us get into deeper sleep. And the second is that it actually supports movement of stool through our digestive system, right? Two birds, one stone, magnesium is a great thing. The second can be an electrolyte, right? We need to be getting that electrolyte balance in place to maintain our blood pressure, to maintain our heart rate, to allow us to recover appropriately. If we can't get water absorbed, we can't get those muscles recovering. And it's not just about a movement exercise piece. It's also about like the gut muscles. Um, And then the third thing is a soluble fiber or a prebiotic fiber. I agree with you. A backup plan is the way to go. Dr. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today. If listeners want to learn more about you, how can they do that? They can join me online. So I'm 
generally pretty highly active on Instagram. You can find me at Dr. Ashley Murchison. And then we actually host our own podcast on all podcast platforms. It's called The Superwoman Code. We're a little bit obsessed with making uh, health incredibly accessible. And we talk about it from a burnout stress hormonal lens. So if you're feeling like life is a little bit overwhelming, I would love to have you join me. And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, ClaudiaMacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.